0: Good morning. Today we're starting a new series called The Spin Cycle, and I'm very excited about this series because we find from the epistles, the hand of the leader to the disciples, the apostle Peter, the process that that he was given by Jesus and he gives to us of how we, his people, begin to behave and have the very behaviors of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What What excites me most about this time that we sit in as a people is that we're in a time of, of desperation. We're in a time of hurt. We're in a time where people are calling for change. They're calling for a new way, a better way. And we can always seek the Scriptures. We can always turn to the Scriptures and find that instruction of Jesus and that better way written right before us. There's a word that I have heard, and it's an important word. It's a biblical word that we need to get comfortable with, and that word is to repent. That's the only way that we turn, pivot, and start to see some of the change that we're calling for. And when the Scriptures say that we are to change, that we are to walk in a new life in Christ and no longer walk in our old life, it's incredibly important to know the process that Peter gave us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that shows us what repentance looks like practically step by step. In fact, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to go ahead and give you that step-by-step process now. And I'm going to encourage you that not only he, but Paul and the other forefathers of our faith gave us this same example and expectation. So, I'm going to have the spin cycle come up. It's found in 2 Peter five one five through 5-8. It says this, "...for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control." To self control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we go any further, you can see that we have a list here. But this list was never intended to be something that is starting at the bottom and built upon as we move forward. It is a linear list that is probably best communicated in a circular fashion. Because Paul points out that everything starts in the mind. It starts at knowledge. In Romans 12, 2, he said, "...do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what both Peter and Paul are saying here is that God expects us to change, to transform from an old life to a new life, and we can only begin to to like expound the behaviors of Jesus if we are very aware of Jesus' behaviors. So we have knowledge of what those are. So I'm going to teach... A few verses today, but namely one, and that verse is 2 Peter 1-2, and it says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, this is a greeting, and it's really important, but we're going to see that Peter does something really important with this greeting, and he changes and makes this greeting even more um, weighty. He's writing this greeting to a people who are about to endure heinous first-century persecution, and he's seeking to empower them so they can sustain through false teaching and stay on the truth of the one true gospel, not a false narrative, not a false gospel, which they'll be up against in the first century with many false teachers. So let me show you in graph form what this actually looks like from 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. This is the spin cycle starting at... Knowledge. The knowledge that we gain of Jesus, like His grace, must go through a process that we call appropriation or the combination of love and good deeds, love and goodness, that God expects the peace of Jesus or the grace of Jesus to also transform His very people into gracious people, that it should come out of us. But what has happened times, many, many times in the past, specifically in a Western culture, is that we have had the tendency to take the knowledge of Jesus and leave it simply at knowledge. As if uh, the process of apprenticeship was taken out of apprenticeship and into the classroom, so it became solely scholastic or academic, which is okay, however it is uh, left in wanting. Because the process that Peter gives us is the knowledge of Jesus grace should awe us, to the point that leads to action, which leads to an accountability a life of mission which leads to appropriation so that more people who come behind us, who in, come in contact with us all the time, can also gain knowledge of that same peace or grace or love that changed us. So if Jesus' love is something that changed us, it should be coming out of us so that other people can have knowledge of that same love. I'm going to ask it to stay up on the screen for a moment. The truth is knowledge is important. Because knowledge informs. If I I have a knowledge of a poisonous snake can either harm or possibly kill me, this, this knowledge educates my response when I come on a poisonous snake. When I come upon a poisonous snake, I'm not going to do anything to try to incite it. I'm not going to do anything to aggravate it. I'm going to try to avoid it and move away from it. In order that I not put myself in harm's way, the knowledge was important to inform my response. That's what Peter and Paul and the forefathers were trying to tell us. Knowledge is power. We've heard that statement for a long time, but it's not the power that we we have to academically wield it over those who are less educated. Knowledge is power because that power was always intended to change behavior. It's the power to change which in turn will inform and teach. Peter exclaims that grace and peace be given to you in abundance, or with full measure, your Scripture may say, through our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, I'm going to talk about grace and peace in a moment. But he says with full abundance... This would be consistent with what Jesus taught us in John 10.10. He said, I came to give life and give it to them more abundant. Because Jesus knew there was a problem. We had a sin problem. We were in bondage to a broken world. His life was on mission. He came intentionally to free us from sin, and, and under the direction of the Father, the plan was to redeem all mankind. Jesus was many things. We know this. We know that He was loving. He was welcoming. He was unconditional. But we also know that Jesus' love was always tied to action, whether it be healing in the Gospels, whether we see correcting or rebuking, or we see him dying for the sin of all humanity. He was always acting upon his convictions. We understand this because Jesus was convicted to do the will of his Father. He came to the world to die, he came with a specific purpose. As for a specific time that was sovereignly handed to him by the Father, but he was the answer to everything that we see in our world that is a problem, as manifestation of sin. He was the answer to the sin problem that keeps our world broken and at bay. So Jesus continually acts upon his convictions. The question is, do we also act upon our own conviction? Do we trust, just like Jesus had a specific conviction, purpose in a specific time that you yourself were not a mistake, that you were designed with an intentional purpose and plan, God-given, so that you could serve in the time that you are to help bring the kingdom, to renew the kingdom. You were intended by God to serve a purpose in redeeming all mankind and making the message of the gospel paramount so that a broken world might have hope. Jesus' love was never without action. In fact, his knowledge of a broken world, his knowledge of the problem, never rendered him without action. It beckoned it. And the thing is, Jesus expects the same response from his church, that our knowledge of the problem should beckon our response, that we should have action beckoned from us. But the question is, are we acting? Or are we simply consuming knowledge and transferring it one to another, getting fat on our knowledge, never actually doing anything. You see, Peter writes this same greeting, not only in Second Peter 1-2, but in First 1 Peter 1-2. And it's the same greeting that Paul uses throughout all of his epistles. The interesting thing is, we call it a greeting, but they use a word and change the Greek. There's an important play on words here. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. It's the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. See in a greeting the word greeting in the Greek is korin, but here both Peter and Paul in his epistles use the word grace which is a different word altogether it's close but it's charis and charis or grace has a meaning if i were to ask you to define grace for me you might say to me that that means unmerited favor and you'd be right you'd be absolutely correct but this is where Greek and English gets lost in translation a little bit. Charis has so much more weight than just that. Charis actually carries with it what it means is that we be empowered by God's presence, that we are not just receiving unmerited favor, that we are literally empowered with God's presence so that in every and in all situations, we carry with us the very presence of God wherever we go. It's much like David when he was returning the ark to the people of God in 2 Samuel 6, which was said to embody the very presence of God. They had been without it for tens of years, and when they located it, he devised a plan to go get the presence of God and put it back amongst the people. He built a cart, he took some people, put the ark on the cart, and guess what? Because he did it his way, people died. Death continued. He lacked the knowledge of God's order for how to move the ark, as prescribed by the law. He simply had a heart's desire, responded in action, responded in his own knowledge, in his own way, and death continued. The truth is, God had a plan. He had a way. And so after he saw Uzzah die in 2 Samuel, he was evoked to go find someone who had the knowledge that he didn't, who could teach him of the law and how the ark could be moved. He asked, how can the ark come to me? And he learned of God's order, and then he went back a second time and applied God's way, and the knowledge that he had evoked the proper action of God, the proper response to the ark and its moving, and the people got to celebrate as the presence of God was ushered back amongst the people. I say this to say this. In the New Testament, we're assured that for anyone who has trusted upon Jesus as Lord and Savior, we carry with us the very presence of God. He indwells all believers. So thus we are empowered with the very presence of God. Wherever we go, the Spirit isn't embodied in the gold-plated box any longer. It's embodied in who we are. And so where we go, we have the ability to act just like our Savior because we're empowered with His very Spirit. This beckons that wherever we go, we are empowered to reveal God's gift of unmerited favor On people to others and we do that through our love, through our actions. God's desire is action from His church. He desires more than simply the consumption of knowledge. He desires that we would do more than just know or say out loud to one another that God is grace. He desires a renewal to start in our mind that leads to a change in our heart that beckons a new behavior, one that is consistent with His Son Jesus one that looks more like Him and less like our old selves, one that offers people a new way instead of allowing them to continue in the old one, which leads to death. It's to offer hope. So he uses the word charis, and this would have been incredibly important to a people during this day who were facing first century persecution and the problem of false teaching. But he uses a second word. In his greeting, he also uses the word peace. And I want to use the word shalom here to explain, because Peter's coming from a Hebraic background. The word here in the Greek is not shalom, but you need to understand this is the background by which Peter and Paul himself would be teaching and saying the word peace. Shalom in the Hebrew literally means, may it be as it is in the garden. So so what they are saying when they say in the Hebrew culture, shalom, what they're saying is may you be at peace as God intended all the way back before sin ravaged the world. This was never the removal of trial or hardship, but that there would be peace and centeredness in the hope and the presence of God that we have in the midst thereof. It's much like Jesus found in the Gospels in the boat in the midst of the hurricane while he's asleep in the stern of the ship. And he's awakened by the frightened people. And he says, why are you afraid? As he hushes the waves and they still. And we see that he's clearly in control and he's sovereign over all things. It's, it's the very same kind of peace that, that Peter writes with Uh, assurance and consistency that he had as he stepped out onto the water to meet Jesus in the midst of a hurricane-like storm as he walked upon the water as waves were heightening and crashing around him. In the moment before he turned his eyes from Jesus and focused more on his hurting and, and scary circumstances, then he did the gaze of, of his Savior that was empowering him to do something that he otherwise couldn't have done. He was lifting him in the midst of the storm, allowing him to accomplish what he otherwise couldn't in his own strength. Until he turned his eyes to his circumstances more than he did to his Lord and his Lord's power and instruction, he was walking on water. The moment he turned his eyes to the circumstances that were overwhelming, he began to sink. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Oh, why did you doubt, ye of little faith? You were walking on water with me. I had you. You see, Peter writes to his audience here, to these people, to us. He says, May you have peace in the midst of trial and hardship that will never be removed. Jesus told us, For those who are aligning ourselves with Him, the world will hate you. In this world, you'll only have trouble. And so the hardship and the trial will not be removed, but you can find peace therein because you're empowered with His very presence. He's with us in the midst of the storm, empowering us to do what we could not do on our own. He says to a crowd who's about to endure severe first-century persecution, this Hebraic word, shalom, it's background, it's meaning, and it encourages them. You equate this to today in a society that is burning and tearing itself apart, expecting change, drawing lines in the sand, doing the best they can to know how to evoke uh, a change. And it's almost like this, this word is thrown out as an oxymoron. The word peaceful protest in a society that was founded upon the say of the people and sworn to protect the very rights of the people. But there is no better description for what has to happen and what is lawful in demonstration in our time against injustices that exist in a society's people. Seeking reform and demanding change. It is peaceful protest. This is our right as a democratic society. But it need to be done in love. And this is where the church steps in. Because First John 4 says anyone who says they love but they don't know Jesus is a liar. And they're only evoking change as best they can in their own power. They're not a people that understand the teachings of Jesus who say, turn the other cheek. They're not a people who understand the words of Jesus who say, love your enemy and don't love those who simply look like you, sound like you, but love those who are not like you. Even the tax tax collectors love birds of a feather. You need to be better than that and love beyond. Love all people who are created in my very image. And everyone should be loved and respected the way that I love and respect them, that I gave up my life to redeem. You, my people, should also give up your life for others the way I gave up my life for you. And this goes beyond acknowledging or simply acknowledging. It evokes action. We must acknowledge, but we must also repent, and that's the point. In the spin cycle, if we don't simply repent of being academic or scholastic disciples, if we continually turn back here and continue just to feed knowledge and never repent of taking that knowledge and allow it to awe us and move us to a place of self-control, we start to apply it and it becomes perseverance or action in our life and it goes through the rest of the cycle. If we keep turning back and we don't repent of that and let the knowledge do what it is intended to do for us and change us, then we never partner with Jesus. And that's the point that I want to make today and this question is imperative for the church. Are we acknowledging Jesus Or are we partnering with Jesus? You see, I can acknowledge an alcoholic, and he can acknowledge that he has a struggle. He can acknowledge, hi, I'm Justin, I'm an alcoholic. But if I only look at him and say, well, good for you, good, you admitted it. But I never take his hand and walk him through steps to help change and free him from the thing that is killing him. Then I disservice him. That's what the, the Scriptures has revealed, that our faith requires deed, and they work hand-in-hand. Hand. Faith without action is dead, and action without a faith motivated is dead. It makes you a liar. And this seems like the largest fallout of an academic disciple. Acknowledging may only go as far as discussing information, possibly exchanging it over and over again, but ultimately doing nothing. Partnering takes action. And it is to live on mission. There can be a large chasm between scholastic cognizance and a new behavior. The lack of heart change leading to behavioral change can be a travesty, specifically for Jesus' church. And that's why Peter inflected this, this challenge, this warning. He said in Second Peter 1.8, if you don't apply this increasing measure, then you'll become unfruitful and useless in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge is power, but it has always been intended to be the power to change behavior, not simply to transfer information, not simply to power, wield power over people who are less inclined or less educated, which has been a problem not just in our present day, but has gone back to the beginning of time. The Jews were known as the people of God. That gave them an arrogance. Instead of evangelizing the world to know the one true God, they looked down their nose at Gentiles and Samaritans. And then they would, by exodus, become slaves themselves to the Egyptians. They would go into captivity in Babylon. They would be uh, taken into concentration camps and death camps by the very Nazis. There's an evil that has persisted because people continue to look at other people as if they're better, respecting persons. And worshiping ourselves, as God said the exact opposite, is should be our response. That we should look at every single person. As Genesis one twenty seven says, reflects the image of God, and we should respect and love them as God does. If you know something is wrong, you feel it in your bones, and yet you do nothing to remedy it. This is the same resistance of the Holy Spirit. That... Stephen challenged the religious leaders in Acts with when he called them stiff-necked as they killed him and stoned him when he challenged the very Sanhedrin. When we don't act on the very convictions that well within us that are God-given by His Spirit, we become the stiff-necked people that Stephen challenged. We know we have an injustice currently in our country. We know that our black brothers and sisters are hurting but I also want to highlight that our police today have been grossly over stereotyped, and they are hurting as well. The question is, how do we as a people of God love both accurately and appropriately? How do we both take the loving and unconditional truth of Jesus' love and appropriate that from our life? May it beckon action from our heart that is sincere and responds the way that Jesus would in this time. How do we love people who have stand on both sides of the line that has been drawn, even though, even though I genuinely believe there's no, no line that should be drawn. Why are black people afraid for their lives? And police, who are allowing people to peacefully protest and admonish their democratic right here in America, afraid just the same. It's because of years of ingrained training, abused authority, a lack of knowledge, and ignored action. In short, the problem is sin, and that's where we come in. 2 Corinthians 5 says that the church exists to be ministers of reconciliation because we are first reconciled to Him, and we are to reconcile others unto Him in the name of Jesus. That John 17 said that the world would know that the Father sent the Son for the specific purpose of redeeming all mankind, By our love and unity with one another. This is where the church is to live. The church exists to reconcile the hurting world with love that they've been reconciled with. That very same love that changed them we're to allow to come out of us so that other people have knowledge of that love. If our response were solely human, then we'd be liars. But we have the truth of Jesus because we know Jesus, and we're not liars. The very expectation of our Lord is anyone who knows Jesus is expected to love like Him. So our knowledge of Jesus is to evoke loving action from His people. Jesus expects our knowledge of His love to urge us to love others just like He did. And today, before I pray and I welcome the band back, I want us to evaluate where we sit today. I want us to evaluate what what we've been dealing with as a culture, what we just heard in this text, and now how we respond right now as worship unto the Lord. Maybe today you need to consider this question. Are you, in fact, kinder than everyone else who's around you? If you know people and you've been called by Jesus to love them beyond your own limits and capacity, are you loving your neighbor like Jesus would? Are you drawing on the strength that you've been empowered with to show them the unfair merited favor that God had for them and letting them feel peace in the midst of this chaos? Secondly, maybe you, like me a bit, who love knowledge and love the power it brings, guilty a little bit of scholastic discipleship, maybe an academic solely. Have you been more about knowledge consumption and information transfer when it comes to Jesus than you have been about converting that knowledge into actionable steps of love, like actionable steps, like to repent and to add to your knowledge self-control, which we will talk about the very next step in the spin cycle process next week. Has the things that you know of, the peace of God, the grace of Jesus made you a peaceful and gracious person? Is it appropriating from your life? And lastly, if you're listening, and today you need prayer for anything. You're, you're hurting because of that which is around you, and you go, I need prayer for this. I don't know what to do. I don't have an answer. I don't know how to respond. We would count it an honor to pray for you. Will you email us at prayeratthefellowship.cc? We'd love the opportunity to take your request to God on your behalf. But if you're also listening and you say, I... I want to know more about Jesus. I would love to respond to Him as Lord and Savior. I would love to know what it takes, the very next step, to follow Him. We'd also love the opportunity to minister to you and to reveal those steps to you. We'd love to walk alongside that decision because it's the most important decision you would ever make in life. So will you also email us at at prayerathefellowship.cc because we would love the opportunity to not only share the love of Jesus with you, but to act upon it. This morning, God, we come to you and we ask that we would be a people that would respond in action because, God, you've asked us to make disciples in the Great Commission of all the world. That to all ends of the world we are to go make disciples as we were made a disciple of Jesus. God, this process that was given to us by your leader to all the disciples, a part of the inner three, Peter shows us the process of repentance and how we see your love passed from one heart to the next, how a follower of Jesus and the kingdom gets passed from one life to the next. So God, I pray today that you'd find a people that would be convicted by your presence right now in your spirit. May you lead us to actionable steps and may you lead us to continually seek you and continue to God, be changed and transformed from the inside out that our behaviors will be consistent with that of Your Son, Jesus, so that more people in our hurting world would know of the saving power of Your Son, Father. We ask this today by the power of Your Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen.